What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Life After High School, the number one podcast in Sudbury, where we dive into the lessons learned, the losses, and the lifestyles of the amazing guests by asking them the skill testing questions, critical thinking ones, and the ones that get the answers you need to help you be a bit better every single day. Thanks for tuning in. I love you guys and enjoy the show. It's the Life After High School podcast. Alan. Good, uh, good afternoon, man. I'm really uh, grateful you're able to share share your time with me today. And I cannot wait to dive into your message and hear all about you and your story. So uh, welcome very much. Welcome to the show. Happy to be here, Glenn. I even wore a brand new pair of socks. I love it. I love it. Are they just like a neutral color or are they like spunky? Puma Costco special. Let's go right on. All right, man. So with uh, with all of that, I want to kind of dive in so people can get a get a hold of kind of understanding of how you are and uh, your story a bit. So take me through kind of your timeline of your life as of uh, the beginning of kind of your transition leaving post-secondary and kind of walk us through to now. And then we can kind of go back full circle, if you don't mind. Yeah, man, I always have such a hard time just sharing my own experiences. The the short and sweet is, I mean, as you know, Glenn, nobody grows up wanting to struggle with mental illness. Nobody grows up wanting to be an addict. I never grew up wanting to be a motivational speaker. It's it's being a journey. I grew up in a smaller community and I excelled in athletics. I excelled in academics and the world was always just my stage i hid behind my smile as a young man there was no other older men who i could look up to who embraced vulnerability you know when i was in pain when my challenges with mental illness began in grade eight i just suppressed it as so many young men do because i didn't know what to do with that pain and so i just masked it and i continued to basically just suffer in silence until things really hit ahead uh, early 20s. And I think often for men, it's someone else, isn't it? Who kind of pushes us to go get help. We know that we need help, but Mm -hmm. my walls were up for so many reasons. And when I actually was finally able to meet with a formal counselor, it was the start of a pharmaceutical journey. I mean, man, I think... I was put on a combination of 12 different pharmaceutical pills in six years. And I was hit with every kind of label from all the psychiatrists. And my coping mechanisms was everything from self-harm. I was a compulsive gambler. I lost everything to that. I was uh, an alcoholic. And, you know, for the most part, Glenn, I was, I was functioning things, uh, I don't know. You know, we hit those forks in the road so often, don't we? Where you you realize very quickly, oh, okay. If I want something different, I should probably do something, something different. different. Yeah. And I would say, for me, one of those moments was when I was teaching. I was teaching a special ed class at a junior high school, and my body just said, "We're out, not doing this anymore." And I had walked out of the classroom after teaching, and I just fell, Glenn. Jeez. I just fell in the hallway and just collapsed. Yeah, it was wow. embarrassing because at yeah. that time I was I was just so gaunt. You know, I'd lost so much weight. I was I was having seizures almost daily. I was drinking daily, gambling, yet I was still trying to prep and teach. And I just I couldn't yeah. do it anymore. 
and lying there with all my students, you know, peering over like, Mr. Yeah. K, you okay? And it was the same thing I always did, right? It was yeah. the smile. Oh, yeah, no, no, I'm I'm okay, thanks. But I was so far from okay. And I have flirted with death so many times. And I, I, I have a very hard time trying to figure out when I reflect on my story, like how, how is it that I'm still alive? There's no logical reason why mm -hmm. I should be alive other than I just feel like I'm here to carry a message. It's it. It's always been bigger than me. Um, after I had collapsed, that didn't, I didn't stop those destructive behaviors, but I started to make a few changes. I, I started getting into support groups. I embraced that vulnerability was strength. I started to share my own story in schools, jails, treatment centers. And that's where I started to hear those words like me too. People would start to connect with a story. And I was like, mm -hmm. what? Glenn, it is the most liberating feeling, is it not? When you realize that you're not the only one going through a challenge. It feels like a weight already lifted off your shoulders. Just knowing you're not alone in something. A hundred percent. Right. No matter what it is. It's yeah, and that's that's shocking. Yeah. Do you, uh, I'm wondering with that, how did you, um, let's, uh, let's go back a bit. Cause I'm curious what in, um, like, how did this all begin? Like, um, how did you manage to use this as a, was there something that happened that you were like, maybe like, uh, was that the event was collapsing and that kind of, that was the beginning of the, like the ripple effect that caused you to go into speaking and business or did that, or was there more to it? Like elaborate on that, please, if you can. I would say that that was one of the catalysts. Um, you know, with gambling, alcohol, whatever, that's mm -hmm. more socially acceptable, is it not? As it an feels addiction? that way. Yeah, it does. And gambling, yeah. I was just I was just really uh embarrassed. And so I actually rented out a church basement in Edmonton used my own funds, did my own marketing, global news, yeah. picked it up. I did a story because I was just trying to create these new support groups. And I actually marched into an organization in Edmonton because I Googled problem gambling supports and it didn't exist. And so I found one. Um, it was the only one. Mm -hmm. And I drove there right away. Is the Problem Gambling Resource Network. And I walked up the stairs and I said, let me meet with the executive director. Is he or she here? Yep. Met him, shook his hand. His name was Ray. And I said, Ray, let me be a face to this. Let me be a voice to this. And so that's how Amazing. that journey began. And it was 75 bucks a pop to go everywhere, you know, and, and I did, I don't know, a good hundred of those. And, and, and that, that was the beginning of what's now 15 years later as a professional speaker, it just morphed from there. Wow. How did you, Man, you've had, you said you had a bunch of different battles and the flirting with death and stuff like that. What, uh, what, how old are you roughly? Like, what's the timeline um, in your timeline of your life? When did that happen? Like, how old are you? Is that like mid twenties? Was that early thirties? Like what's uh? I started to recognize that I was different through my thoughts in grade eight. Body yeah. dysmorphia was where it all started. I had seen this one picture that was taken of me from the side profile and I was mortified isn't even the right word it, it started to take over my entire life wow i was always so concerned with who would see me from the side 
um, even basketball, you know, like dribbling down the court. I was aware that they were looking at my side profile. It was, it was everything. Just over time. And then it was the depression, the anxiety. Yeah. It escalated in high school. And uh, it did not help that I then went to Holland for a year. Um, I went on a one-year exchange program. And you take a kid from this conservative environment and you put him in Holland. And that's where... I mean, it was the rave scene. It was hanging out with the gangs at Amsterdam yeah. Central Station. And it was just uh, a mixture of ingredients to create quite the storm. And yeah. even with my mania, you know, bipolar disorder was one of the diagnoses. And when I was in Australia, I remember I, I, I actually thought I could fly. I almost jumped into the ocean 300 feet. And I, I was with two of my friends and I said, like, guys, you know, here's where I'm at. I just I just really need you to help me out and maybe just support me in this way, because this is what I'm going through. And it was always so hard, Glenn. It was so hard to let. To let my friends in, you know, I, I remember living with three guys. And when I first finally met with a doctor and I was given a prescription, like I was mortified. I was so embarrassed. And yeah, one day when I was really struggling, I just thought like, I have to tell someone, I have to tell one of my roommates. And I, I just said, I just caught him in the hallway and I said, I'm not doing very good. And I remember he put his hand on my shoulder and he just said, uh, you're a good guy, Al. You'll figure it out. And he was gone. Because he was uncomfortable. Yeah, and I think that's thing. the problem. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. But as you and I know, silence is not the answer. Never. It almost has more of like a, a detriment than it does. Like it, It's not like it does nothing, right? It's like, oh, they didn't answer. So it means, or they didn't uh, have an answer for you at the time. So it means that they didn't, that won't do anything. It's like, no, that actually has an effect as well. Right? Because it's, almost well now i am just pounding in the fact that i am alone or i am alone in this or now oh we'll reach out for help and it's like yeah but then you're met with that which just reiterates what we're talking about where it's difficult to find help and difficult to talk to people about that how have you made it more of like um i know it's an uphill battle but how have you made it more of like a norm in your life to kind of or implement with other people in, in their lives even and teach them how to make it kind of a normal thing to talk about and make people more comfortable. Is it just talking about it more openly often or is it just a coach, a strategy you'd use to tell people like, oh, this is the importance or how do you kind of push them in the right direction to do that? I feel like the greatest thing that we have, the greatest thing that we own is our story. Mm -hmm. There is not a single thing, in my opinion, that's more powerful than someone's story. There's nothing there's nothing that's as sacred as someone's story. And it's the story that helps us to shatter that stigma associated with mental health. So for that reason, whether it's my own story or using the story of others, the last book that I wrote on men and mental health, it was fascinating to see how that was able to reach numerous men. And it's the permission piece. Yes. It's like, damn, if 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 yeah. they can go to that place, then maybe I can too, because vulnerability will always breed more vulnerability. And it, it's like, I was speaking at an event a couple of weeks ago, it's oil and gas. So this is often that culture where we don't talk about 
our problems. Alcohol is the go-to. And I got an email uh, last night from this young man who says, my dad saw you speak and he thought uh, maybe it would be good for me to reach out. I've never reached out before. This is my cry for help. I don't know how long I can do this anymore. Oh. And it's like, that's why we do what we do. Silence is, is never going to be the answer. And if we can just share some of our experiences, it is phenomenal to see the implications. And you know what was really surprising, Glenn? When, when I conducted all those interviews for that last book on men yeah. and mental health, the common theme was this. Every single guy said that when they were finally able to reach out to a person of trust, they did not feel as though they were judged. Rather, it was the opposite. They, they were met with compassion and even yeah. love. Like what I'm saying is, we are often our greatest barriers, right? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You kidding? For sure. Yeah. Because it's all stuff we make up in our head, right? Like you said, it's the fear of being judged or not knowing who in your life or how to even approach somebody, right? How do you go about you just it's a it's back to your original point of like the making it as like sharing the story and making it relatable or making it just bringing that message and just sharing that as much as possible though so excuse me sorry as possible so that people are able to message you or reach out and find ways and go oh well alan's gone through all these things and he knows hundreds of people with uh, their own unique story facing similar issues and they're able to open up and share these things with people and ask for help and be heard, then that's, then maybe I can too. Now, what I, what I'm kind of curious though, in that is, do you have um, like any, like with the strategies, like, do you try to find, like, how do you implement? Is it like a step by step? You're like sharing, okay, this is like how we can do this when you work with people, or is it more just, a cookie cutter version and it's like you're able to kind of one fit one solution fits all or do you how do you approach solving these issues with the, the men yeah, as individuals right like so like outside of the speaking when they approach you in the follow-up because I imagine the follow-ups what really makes the difference the speech kind of gives them the empowers them to reach out whether that be to you or other people where does it go from there like how does that take me through what a success story would like looks like it could be from either an example or from what it looks like ideally i think you touched on it before glenn when you said we just want to be heard mm -hmm. i think that sometimes we talk way too much and elders always remind us that we have two ears and one mouth for a reason yeah to be an active listener is powerful. A lot of people will listen to respond. They don't listen to listen. Mm -hmm. And so the biggest thing for me is creating that space where those individuals feel as though they can just speak openly without being judged. Mm -hmm. And if we can just zip it and allow them to speak then healing will take place. The definition of healing is very simple for me. The more that the darkness gets out, the more room you will make for light. There is a reason why people always say, man, 
you know, after talking to you for five, 10 minutes, I feel better. Well, of course you feel better. Why? Because you got what was on the inside out. Yeah. It's like you talk for 10 minutes. Yeah. It's interesting. You say that. And to your point, I had a friend of mine like uh, a couple of weeks ago, he was at my place. We were just like chatting and then, um, you know, having a drink and nothing too crazy. Just drink in the afternoon on a nice summer day. And he's, uh, he starts talking to me and I'm used to this style of uh, conversation, right? Like the long format. So my role is kind of like just tee up uh, like layers of questioning. So I'll just like ask one question and then just kind of wait. And usually what I found, I'm sure you've noticed this tenfold as well, Alan, but when you ask somebody a question and they respond, and if you don't respond right away, usually they add more and add more, right? People have a habit of wanting, it's like an awkward silence they want to fill. So they add more information and give you more context. And then I found that similar thing happened with this like friend of mine. And he was uh, after like 10, 15 minutes, it's just like, oh, okay. Like, you know, listening to him to your point. And he was like, you know, this is nice. And I was like, what do you, yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like this weird um, thing out of nowhere to call. And uh, he goes, no, I'm, uh, well, I was in, when I was back home or when I was back at school, like, I guess he lives out of town for school. He's like, and I was talking to, I was having a beer with so-and-so, which is another friend of his. And uh, he's like, I can't just sit and talk to him like I can with you. I was like, hmm, why do you think that is? And he's like, well, it was just, we'll drink and I'll say something. And then he'll just, he doesn't just listen to me. He just, he'll be like, what do you mean? Well, that doesn't make sense. Like he'll almost contradict what I'm saying. And I'm like, yeah, well, it doesn't always have to make sense to the person listening. It just has to make sense to you. And like you said, you just, the whole idea is getting, it out to make room for light which i think is like phenomenal i think that should be like a bio for somebody a t-shirt whatever right i think that's phenomenal let's put it on a billboard a billboard would be best yeah and then some and you know what what else is interesting glenn is often in those situations people will say something to the effect of you cannot possibly understand what i've gone through and sometimes i feel like we make the mistake of saying oh yes i can i went and then it becomes about us yeah it's when not. These are the four most important words to respond with. Help me to understand. Ooh, and then yeah. once again, we go back to just zip. Yeah, it's like, help me understand. How can I? I think you said too, and I'll add uh, to like the um, approach of like, we we listen to respond. We don't listen to understand, right? We don't listen to listen. We don't listen to understand. I think there's a huge thing with, there's a disconnect, especially now with like the ability to access information, everything, 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 everybody knows everything. And it's a lot tougher to find those issues. And I find mental health, mental health with men, everything, it seems very more prevalent now in the last handful of years. I don't recall anybody growing up or at least now, it seems like, oh, that's what that was. And it's easier now to like identify it. Whereas back in the like maybe 10 years ago, plus 10 plus years ago, it was very foreign. Like mental health was a foreign concept. Why do you think it's only recently, like, uh, what would you say in the last 10 years or so, five years even come into like the mainstream of like, oh, this is a problem and we need to help people with it. I've even noticed too, sorry, before I answer is with people are making it more like mental health 
for men like day or month or something like that. Like there is a thing for it now and it's still slowly starting to like catch. Why do you think that is and that it's started to be okay? I would agree that probably the last five years, I would say it's gotten legs. I found that Bell Let's Talk had an interesting stat this last run mm. where they had said that one in two men don't talk about mental health. Now, here's the thing. Yeah. I think that's actually part of the problem because one in two men do talk about mental health. Ooh, okay. Right? I see you, Alan. so I... <laughs> think that sometimes we just cast this dark shadow over men and mental health and yes no doubt like we are dying at a suicide rate that is three yeah. times greater than women i don't dispute Insane. that but i think that we have to also focus and highlight the great work that is being done by so many men in the last year mm -hmm. uh i have spoken at probably five maybe six men and mental health events, the first ones of its kind in different communities. Did one two oh. weeks ago, the first one. And so it's it's starting to take off. And the greatest motivation for all of us men or even fathers is to make damn sure that the next generation doesn't have to fight so hard. So mm -hmm. we're starting to recognize what we've been carrying for so long. And we're recognizing how toxic and unhealthy it is. And as men we often will go to anger. We will go to irritability. Oh, yeah. And that's how we mask it. That's but you dangerous. know, here's the thing. Yes, yeah. it is. Because yeah, I was so angry. Like yeah. I, Glenn, I would, you talk about road rage. I would get into my car. I would follow people to their house and wait for them to get out. That's not healthy. Yeah, that's bad, bad. But yeah. I went through a lot of anger management. I went to a lot of therapists. Anger is a secondary emotion. What fuels anger for mm. most men, same for me, sadness. But this is the problem. Uh. It's not modeled that it's okay for us as men to be sad. So what do we do? Uh, we project. We, we jump to the next one, which is anger. Because it's easier. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Which is weird, especially being a secondary like uh, emotional reaction that we all have. Oh, interesting, eh? Huh, it's easier because to be don't angry. make me feel that was and 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 the more yeah. that you know I talk to men, the the walls are up. Any teacher, any professional who would try to make me go within, boom, anger. That was my best defense mechanism. But over time and in my recovery, I learned, oh, that's right. Feeling leads to healing. Another billboard, Glenn. Feeling leads to healing. Ooh, interesting. Interesting. So kind of jumping a bit um, with that. Um, what do you think? Now I've had, I've had really good friends, um, like parents or close family members pass away. I've had close relatives pass away um, and stuff like that. And let's say traumatic events, right? Or like you spend a lot of time or money investing in something and you lose it or you have something catastrophic happen to you that forces you to like completely shift your identity, right? Whether it be like, oh, you're the on your way to a, like uh, playing professional basketball and then your knee breaks. And then it's like, now you can't play anymore, but you were that star basketball player. So how do you deal with that? So these are kind of like examples of like different traumatic experiences, right? And I'm imagining you've had, uh, you faced your own in the past. 
And um, it could be with examples from yours to help you answer this, but I'm curious, what do you think it is about traumatic events that force you to people to change so drastically? I think after any loss or any time that there's significant change, you 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 really only have two choices. Either you fight or you give up. That's it. Yeah. And the third book that I wrote was called Born Resilient. And I really wanted to figure out why is it that some people choose to fight? And why is it that other people choose to give up? You know, and there's something innate there. Like, I really believe as though we uh, sell ourselves short sometimes. Here's here's the reality. You've actually survived 100% of your most challenging days. Yes? Yeah. I mean, that's Amazing. remarkable. And so when anyone has those moments, so if they're the star basketball player and their knee breaks, you know, it's like, if you were to actually reflect on all the challenges, somehow, even though initially I'm sure it was painful and difficult, you didn't see that it would get better. It did. Mm -hmm. And that's the hope piece because without hope, we're hooped, you know, but I would say this hope also requires action. Hope yeah. is not enough. And here's an example for, for me. I mean, you, you can't run from self. I tried. I, I literally ran around the whole world. And in six years, I moved 12 times, 12 oh. times. The constant was that every single place I moved to, I hung up a picture. It was a sunrise. And it was an African proverb. It said, no matter how long the night, the dawn will break. And that the, the reason I hung that up is because I always said, like there, there just has to be more to life than this. There just, there just has to be, there is no, I'm not religious. I was raised very religious, but I'm very spiritual. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, there is no way that the creator would put me through this absolute hell if there was not some greater purpose. And so that was my piece that I fought and it was a slow evolution, but I would say this, when I was able to find my voice, I found my power. When someone is able to speak about their pain, they will step into their power. And if they can discover, like as men especially, if they can discover that their story can help someone else, Glenn, why the hell would we be quiet about that? No, absolutely. There's so much, oh man, there's so much. I love that. I love that. Like there's so much power behind using what we've gone through as kind of a projection of just what we believe in and how to get through difficult things. I have a good, very good friend of mine that kind of looks at things and like tra traumatic events and he kind of sums up things well like this where he's like, oh, somebody's like, how are you coping with the loss of so-and-so? And I agree with him on this, which is why I want to bring this up. And I think I'm curious your uh, five cents on something like this is um, he goes, it's, I don't like the idea of coping because I'm not coping with my issues. I'm building from them, I'm like using them as like a tool of, okay, I got through this thing now. 
So this now, like this won't break me. And then it's you're building resilience, like you said, referring to your book. And that's, it's tenfold how that, how that works. But my favorite part about these things and going through traumatic experiences and not coping, but building off of them is all those experiences are compounding, right? And you just get stronger and like the armor gets thicker and you build and you're tougher and tougher and tougher. And then you get to a point where it doesn't matter if people judge you or not for sharing your story or for the issues you have, you, you know how important it is. And there's a higher purpose you have to serve that, Oh, if a couple of people judge you or they have nitpicky criticisms about your speaking or the way you're going about delivering your message or the message itself, you know, that's like, well, my job isn't for you. It's, I have a higher purpose that has to, I have to get this message across to these people because these people are in need. That's liberation. Absolutely. If an individual can get there, that's that's redemption. I mean, mm-hmm. geez, you t- you talk about trauma, um, sexual abuse as as a male. I yeah. see. I I I liked smoking at an early age because I mm-hmm. felt like I was killing something inside. I liked drinking immediately because I felt like I was drowning something. I always tried to harm or kill myself, and I was just like, why? do I hate myself so much? And trauma is a fascinating thing where often we'll just suppress it. We will literally store that trauma in ourselves. And mm-hmm. if we as individuals are able to enter into a position of strength, have supports around us, leave destruction behind, then the body finally says, okay, I think they're ready. And it will release the trauma. And it does so through flashbacks And I'm sharing this because that was my experience. When I experienced sobriety, I was given a new family, moved in to a home with a woman who had two kids. And I I had this strength around me. And all of a sudden, boom, I started to recall being sexually abused throughout my entire childhood. Where, Wow. That's humongous. Where do you go with that? Yeah. You don't call up the boys and say, hey, here the the I don't I don't have words to explain the overwhelming shame, the disgust, the yeah. but you talked about resilience and I knew I've done this before. I I I just understood that if I did not do something, if I didn't go somewhere with this pain, I'm dead. It was that simple. So my saving grace was that I found a support group for other men who'd been sexually abused. And I, I've i gotten into AA, I've gotten into GA, I've gotten into different mental health support groups and it was hard, but nothing was as hard as this. And yet by going there, um, that actually saved my life. Um, wow. Because the only other guy who was there after I broke down, I started crying. Like I was so close to running away. Um, but he said, it's okay, Al. I get it. And Glenn, I That's I huge. knew that he did get it. And you, you, you think about this. Like for anyone oh. listening, your greatest risks will often lead to your greatest rewards. Yes? Absolutely. Yeah. So vulnerability, it's it is so hard. It is so hard 
our walls down, but if we can do it and be met with love and compassion, then it's like you said before, liberation. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, oh, geez. How did, um, I love that. Like that, that's intense, but that's, yeah, it's powerful. Especially the gentleman didn't, didn't say much, just enough for you to reassure, like to reassure that thing we kind of, we were, we started talking about in the beginning, which is like reassuring the fact that, Hey, no matter how scary this is, I'm not the only one jumping out of the plane. Mm-hmm. Right. Somebody else is attached to you. Mm-hmm. Right. You both land on your feet, head up. And that's, wow, that's intense. And that's intense. Do you have, um, I want you to talk to me about the importance of, cause I've seen clips and I've heard of uh, other conversations you've had and speeches you've done where you talk about like, now you have strategies. Now you have um, friends and a solid support system of people in your life that I want you to talk a bit about like the importance of having a strong supportive friend group or even like uh, groups like AA or stuff like that, that like talk to me about the importance of those things in your life, whether that be the groups or whether that be like the friends and like buddies of yours and stuff like that, or even family members too. It's everything. It's everything. Connection is everything. Um, I don't go to a place like Alcoholics Anonymous to work the program as much as I go to be understood. That's it. I think that underneath everything, we just want to be understood. We just need to know that we're not alone. And to get that gift means we have to be vulnerable like we talked about before. Yeah. But the question is, who do you surround yourself with right now? Think about those people. Are they people who lift you up or... Are they people who bring you down? Because often it's the crab in the bucket mentality. If they see you succeed, and especially when it comes to drinking, you know, when I, when I look back, when I was active in my addiction, when I was living in Edmonton, like Glenn, I had zero friends, zero. The guy who was supposed to be in my wedding party couldn't make it because he had to go to a poker tournament. I mean, (laughs) that's, that's where I was. And so in order for us to be well, I think we have to cut ties often with certain people, right? We have to set Mm -hmm. boundaries. We have to advocate for ourselves because nobody else will. And that was hard for me. My circle is very small and it's very small intentionally. Um, And I'm really fortunate to have a partner who often will see signs in me before I recognize them when I'm starting to struggle with my mental health. And she encourages me to act on the resources available. But the number one thing for me, there's a really good uh, line from an elder who I talked to and he says, it's okay to let the bird in your mind, but do not let it make a nest. Mm, I like that. Because where I get into trouble is I live in my head and I will then isolate and I will withdraw and our our brains can be the best thing or they can be a, like even this morning, it was horrible. I just, it's, it just starts, the cycle starts and any little thing that can be used against us, our brain just boom, boom, boom. And it's a lot. It latches on. It's a lot. So if I sit with that and if I don't put a voice to it, I'm in trouble very quickly. 
And I think that as men, it's learning that it's okay to make the call. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also there's a lot of guys in our life who will say, call me uh, or let me know what you need. But you find out very quickly, yes, who will really make the time. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones who are few and far between. But if you have even one, you're good. And if you don't Huge. have the person, pen and paper, that was my best outlet forever. Ooh. I used to write yeah. and just write, write, write. And the whole point is what's in here has to come out. It yeah. has to. And then I would burn it because I just I just didn't want people to read it. Ooh, interesting. I like that second step where you would, yeah. I like that. I've never, I've done the writing down. I've never, like, especially in school when I was in college and there wasn't, I didn't have like that trusted group yet. Yeah. And like the friends I had at home, I was like, I was kind of like away, but then the group I hadn't made those close ties yet. So in that process, that's kind of how I managed to get through it, especially through Mm. the like, it's Friday. Why do I have nothing to do? Or why do I, why am I doing this? Like you're almost, even if you have stuff to do, which most of the time I did and it would, it's like, oh yeah, I'm going out, but it's, let's look at this. Are you happy of who you're going out with? Are you happy the attitude you have towards it? Or like when you're around these people. And it's interesting that you talk about the cutting ties and how difficult that is. Cause I found that difficult myself, but I've did that in the last, like the last year like mm. 2022 and being able to do that and like meeting friends and be like oh this is great and then just like actually just okay it's it's very hard and people think I want to make this a bit clear too for people listening who maybe don't know how and I'm sure you can elaborate on this Alan afterwards but how it's not that it hurts and it might be tough but it's not that difficult like it's very simple to cut ties you don't have to call the person and break up with them it's actually a lot easier than that you could just not reach out to the person. That's what I ended up doing. I just found myself reaching out and then I would like pull teeth to hang out with them. And when we'd hang out, they just drink and complain. So I was like, I don't want to do either of these things. Why would I? It's like, I want to go work out. Like, I'm going to go do that. And then you should join. And then it's like, you're pulling teeth again, trying to get them to join you. And then you end up just, okay, I'm not, I'm just not going to message the person. And then if they do, so then what did you do, Glenn, when they did reach out to you? The odd time they would do it, I'd uh, either have something else to do or say, hey, yeah, sounds good. It's been a while. Come by the gym. Because I I have like a garage and I have like a pretty decked out home gym in there, like squat rack, punching bag, TV, like rings, everything. So I'm like, yeah, come hang out in my gym. And it's like, I'm still going to work out you should work out with me. And then usually that goes, ah, maybe I was thinking food. I also go, I also go, nah, I'm okay. Nah, it's all good. Maybe next time. Like that's easy for, that is weird. Cause I've haven't found it very easy to do that except in the last two years. I'm a lot more comfortable now saying it's okay. Or now nah, maybe next time. And then just leaving it. It's like, just cause you're invited doesn't mean you have to go. I think reading, reading, I honestly, I think that book really helped me with that. Okay. Just like, Hey man, just, it's okay to not be invited. Or if somebody says, no, it's not the end of the world. You don't have to take everything so personally. And that's just it. Looking at it objectively and just, I, you know, self-interest ahead of everything else. And then, uh, or your best interest, I mean, ahead of everything else. And then going with that. 
that was kind of what uh, what happened with that. Simple, nice. simple you. but difficult. Thank you, Alan. It was uh, yeah, it was tough at the time, but very simple. Looking back, it's always that first one, yes, or the first few, and then yeah. you realize over time, hmm, yeah, Easy. not so bad. No, not at all. I'm sure you've uh, I'm sure you've had to do that in the past. Like, what was that uh, process like for you? Like, kind of discovering the confidence and gaining the confidence to even do that. We teach people how we want to be treated. Yes. Yeah. And I have also had to cut ties with family sometimes. And uh, sometimes it's interesting. <laughs> Actually, Tanya, my wife and I, we had started a book. It was called Get the F Out of Family. And, you know, I did That's the whole funny. TV. I did the radio and I was seeking stories because who can't relate to that? Oh, everybody. But why is it that we tolerate certain behaviors from people just because they're family? And it's, it's just an extension of valuing self. Actually, I was very direct yeah. with some people that if you cannot respect this new lifestyle, I'm out. And for many of them, I mean, drinking was their life. Gambling was their life. So they had no need for me as a person. I was just someone who could enable that behavior yeah. Once I was able to experience some recovery, it was scary for them because then they had to look at themselves. So then it was actually easy for me because they're the ones who cut the tie. But I also, I mean, I'm, I'm a counselor by trade and a teacher. And I found that a lot of people would just want, I wasn't a friend as much as I was a counselor. It mm -hmm. wasn't a two-way street. They would just talk and talk and sure I could help. But eventually uh... I said like, this isn't working. You know, uh, I don't want to be a counselor. And I was the one who just cut ties. And it's, uh, it's also liberating. Wow, that's, uh, it is liberating. First, and uh, like, uh, 100%. There was a example, I'll use of like, uh, a while ago, I was out with uh, a family member of mine. Um, and I remember the conversation of like, I said something, and I remember going like, oh, we had a, I, uh, we had had a, uh, a family member pass away. And I remember sitting down at this restaurant with him and talking about like, hey, you know what? I'm grateful. Like, it's sad, but I'm grateful that my last time with him in person was like my favorite time with him. Mm. And that's, that's not like, I'm not just saying that because of the moment and it would seem nice to say, it's just that's what happened. It was just the people were there, the people who were there the last time it was with this family member in person, the people who were there, the energy, like the laughs, everything, everything felt positive. There's no like negativity. There's no complaining. It was just like, everybody was just happy for everybody and happy to see everybody and just drink and have fun and be around each other. Right. And I remember telling this person and they're like, well, that makes me feel bad. Cause uh, I didn't have a, like, I could have seen him too, but I didn't go up. And I was like, I want you to be happy. Why aren't you happy for me? Like, why aren't, why can't we just be happy that there were good experiences? Like, don't look at what you missed out on. And then they just like, they were almost made me feel bad for not feeling bad or like missing out or like, Oh, I'm just grateful. And they're like, maybe feel bad for that. So I go, you know what? I'm done trying to be friends with you. Mm. Like I'm, I love you because you're family, but I'm not, I I can't be your friend anymore. I'm done reaching out. I'm done trying to do that. If 
in a couple of years, we want to, you know, like if you want to reach out and have a drink or you, or you need something, if you are on the side of the road and you need gas, call me. I'm that person to you now. I'm not sure. the per because we're family. I'm not the, oh yeah, hey man, come do, come drink. Because I'm like, no, I don't like being around you. It's not mm -hmm. worth it. I'm done trying to be your friend. If you need anything, call me. But I'm not hanging out. But we're kind of, no. That's how I almost have to separate certain family members, at least. It's like, it's a bit more negative than it is positive and it just doesn't align. And sometimes it doesn't and that has to be okay. Agreed. That's, it's tough. It is tough. tough. Yeah. Well, good for you. Thanks, Alan. That's uh, yeah. It's uh, last year or two has been uh, this exact battle. So the timing of chatting with you about it is almost like a reflection for me as well, hearing the way you word and articulate everything. Mm. And then I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, okay. Interesting. You know, like, <laughs> Geez, um, how do you go about, because I, I have friends who uh, have done speeches and stuff like that in the past, uh, not nearly the amount as you've done or the volume, but I want to know, how do you get in a emotional, or like, how do you prepare your state of mind to do these speeches and to do these talks? Because I feel it would take a lot out of you if you have to, if they're all uh, on the subject. It used to. I mean... I was physically sick the first probably, geez, like 10 years. I mean, I would see the venue and I would just, I would need a washroom within five minutes because I was so terrified. And and plus it was hard for me to bring up some of my own pain uh, because then I would feel, but I tell you, it's, it's the... I guess I just embrace the fact that you sometimes have to do things scared Ooh. and you have to trust that there are going to be rewards by being vulnerable. And I immediately experienced that there were rewards, the men, especially who would approach or who would send messages, you know, it's always been bigger than me. I have a calm before the storm because I have this, team this army around me every time i speak um any book that i've written i would say isn't really mine it's just it's it's something comes through me and i'm just this medium i'm here for purpose from pain to purpose justin andres was my best 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 friend he was my uh person and i lost him to suicide and I would say that Justin is the probably the biggest driving force behind my to him today than probably when he was here physically. The veil between the physical and spiritual world is so thin. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's just tapping into that spiritual connection, which, you know, 15 years ago, I, I would have had a hard time listening to someone say that, but that's the truth for me. It's, it's much, much bigger than me. I'm this small little piece in something. Um, and I'm, I just ask to be used every day. I just ask to be used. That's amazing. That's yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's quite the event. How old were you uh, in, in your life when you uh, when that happened? When Justin passed? Yeah, if you uh, don't mind. 
Yeah, I would have been 30, oh, 31. Uh, and I mean, oh. we were, we, we were the same, you know, we both struggled with mental illness. We both struggled with addiction and that, that was a hard one because it's like, well, why, why was I always saved? Cause I was, mm. and why wasn't he? And I remember actually posing that question to someone who I respect to an elder when I was teaching at an indigenous college. And she said to me, you have no right to ask that question because he has his journey and you have yours. And there's a lot of power in that because yes. isn't it interesting how quickly we can become to enmesh ourselves in the lives of others? Yes. It's not ours. We came into this world for our own journey. And I think we do a disservice when we lose ourselves in, in what other people are doing. Yeah. Well said. Well Thanks. said. <laughs> no problem, Alan. That's a, yeah, that's intense though. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. Very. Jeez, man. That's, yeah, it's we also like, how do, how do, like, why is this? It's almost like, why did that happen to me? It's like, well, their passing happened to them, but why is that happening? Like, you almost, it's almost like a selfish way of looking at it, isn't it? I feel like you're like, oh, me, me. And then it, it reverts back to what we we're talking about with the listening thing and what people are lacking, where it's, it's tough because we always put it on like, oh, we could have avoided that or we could uh, with other situations if we give them an outlet or a person to talk to. And when we're not selfish and having those and having the conversations with people where it's easier to connect that way and we do more good, but it also, it's tricky, right? Cause it's, well, now it's doing that, but then, and now we're hurt because it happens to us when we lose that person. It's very, it's weird how it all kind of like fights each other right? There's the battle, like it, everything kind of goes against each other. And I don't know if it's supposed to balance out that way or what, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's scary. But what I'm curious too, Alan, um, if you can share this, what, um, what habits, because I'm sure I have a few that I do as well, but I'm curious what habits you do to um, like have implemented in your own life to uh, kind of preserve your own uh, well-being and mental health. Yeah, I'm really fortunate to have kids. You know, we have four boys. Two have left the house, uh, oh, but we still you. have two at home. Yeah, that's exciting. And the most beautiful thing about kids is they give us permission to play. Mm -hmm. And I have always had a hard time with play. I've had a hard time um, with love. And I would say that the best gift for my wellness is, is just giving myself permission to, to laugh and to love myself and to love others. And I have this partner who will just listen, you know, and, and I have learned that when I am struggling, I have to vocalize. Like even this morning, I said, I'm having a tough day mm -hmm. and that's that's enough right there where yeah. do you need to talk no i'm i'm actually okay but you know then she'll just kind of be aware and so i've i've learned to advocate for what it is that i need i've learned that asking for time for myself isn't being selfish as mm -hmm. much as it means that i um i value my wellness and so i communicate i need 10 minutes to do this i need 
half an hour to do this. And sometimes it's just literally lying on the grass. Yeah. Since like the gym is a source of release. Mm -hmm. I think uh, when it comes to stuff like that and then fitness and I find too with, uh, I want to go back though, from the beginning of that, when you do a, uh, it also, I feel from the partner's eyes, because I've talked to my girlfriend about this. I've talked to friends of mine um, who have had their boyfriends kind of like open up to them in this way. They feel special in a way, in a weird way. And they kind of um, voiced it to me. They kind of like vocalized it and articulated it this way, where they say, it makes us feel special because you trust us enough to share this with you because nobody mm. else gets that. Mm. Like very rarely does anybody else, if ever anybody gets the like version where we just break down and like, we, like, who do we trust? Who can you trust in that? Especially as dudes. Oh man. Right. Just the young dudes. And now with social media and everything, it's like, well, everybody's supposed to be a, like at the top doing this, like all these crazy stuff and be tough, strong, powerful. And it's like, well, yeah, but there's a side. It's like, it's an ultimate confidence where you can do that. I feel and it's a weird, like you have to build to be able to do it, but then it kind of goes against what the norms have been. Oh man. It's, it's a journey though. It's definitely a journey. So that's a, <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh man. Have you, um, one thing I found that I've done that I'm curious about, I've, uh, I, ice bath but i've been doing that like before it kind of became like a bit cool to do that now right like before the ads for the ice bath started coming out i was ice bathing or ice bathing so i found that one's really good i found um the gym like fitness and training that hard and being able to kind of almost one thing too like i was fishing the other week that one's a big one just not mm. being anything that's not where I'm, i need to be on my phone or i can easily pick it up right it's like you're forcing yourself to go disconnect that way and i find disconnecting has been like the beginning of a different like realization in my journey is like okay as soon as i there's one time i had like a really weird um we were like losing a bunch of money in the business a couple of years ago because like a client didn't want to pay and so we were going through all that so stressful and i was like we were like depressed because we weren't gonna like get paid that week and it was a tough time but what we ended up doing is um i was like like you said at the beginning of this show where you're like, um, you said something like, if you need to, if you want to make, um, if you want to see a difference, you need to make a change, right? Something along those lines. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to delete all my social media hmm. for, for a week. Nothing crazy, just Monday to Friday, not even seven days and just see what happens. And then I start off my week, no social media, and I would grab my phone and open it and just click on the screen where there's no button, no icon, Alan, because it was all yeah. gone. So I'm like, it scared me at first. And then as I got used to it, the anxiety went away and then everything kind of became more relaxing. And now it's a bit more under my control. And so I found that one for me has been the biggest, um, the biggest one is like every now and then I just, yeah, no more social media for a bit seems to work out good for you yeah that detox from social media yeah it's huge it's huge for sure um so tell me kind of a bit about the books you've written tell me kind of like how what I always curious about when I talk to authors and stuff like that is where do you draw inspiration from 
is it like one system and it's just different topic for you or i know different people are like based on stories and their families and stuff like that but talk to me a bit about that like the inspiration it's uh pretty weird glenn and i i really mean that it's always been bigger than me like like i had i had no intention on writing any of these ever mm-hmm. uh Here's an example, the the book on men and mental health, the, I was shoveling the driveway and honestly, it felt, I actually thought someone hit me in the head because it, it, it was like a right on the back and the whole book went and I actually threw my shovel in the snowbank and no I, I, I ran inside and I, I grabbed a laptop that's sitting right here and yeah. I just, and I'm not a vision kind of guy. But I shit you not, that night, there was, or maybe it was the next night, there was this long line of uh, people, and they're all handing me this uh, piece of paper with with writing, and I realized, oh, they're handing me their story, and then I realized, these are all men, and I was like, oh, this is supposed to be a book for men and mental health, from from idea to book in hand, 10 months. Yeah, that's like, quick, quick. Because the men just appear and that's what i'm saying like it it might sound wow. funny but it's it's always been bigger than me the the difference is i i i find it interesting that a lot of authors are so excited as they should be to get that first book in hand to open up that box glenn for me it was shame it was always always shame there was never excitement it was like who the hell am i to write this book I, I almost threw out that first book that I wrote wow. uh, in the garbage that was right beside me when I got it in the mail. Cause it's, I have just really struggled with um, value and it's, it's sad. Cause what a waste. And mm. even now, like, I mean, I did an event in Halifax, I think it was like two weeks ago and they all bought the books. There's a couple hundred people who want me to sign the books in my head Gosh. saying like, what the hell's wrong with you? Why would you waste your money on this book? Why would, and it makes no sense, but it's, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's my stuff that I got to work through. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Geez. Now with these stories, what do we want to ask you? Do you like, do you reach out to people? Do you put it out there? How do people find out that, or how did the men come to you? How do they find out about that? Do you just put like a call out? You're like, Hey, everybody. Yeah, for that book I did. I did a call out. Uh, I think I probably went on some local news stations. I think I probably went on some radio and I also knew a few people and it just it just came together so fast. And that was one of the coolest things for me to to do a book launch where all these men were present and we did a separate retreat. Uh, my wife and I rented a cabin and we got all these men together. And the coolest thing was they had never met each other, but they wow. they were connected immediately because they had similar lived experience. And just to witness that and to get the emails, not on a daily basis, but almost from people who've read it and how they connect to it. I mean, that that's that's why I'm here. That's it. Just just the connection piece. I love that. I love that, man. That's um that's really cool idea that you did like that's really cool Mm. that you did that like you brought them all together and they hadn't met before was that before or after they had all read like kind of the book 
nobody had read it. It was uh, the first time that I put the book in their hand and my friend Simone, she's an indigenous artist and I made a custom print just for them with men surrounding each other. Wow. So I handed out this custom print that only they have along with the book. And so they had it for the first time before we did the actual launch. That's incredible. Wow. That's so powerful. Wow. I can only imagine how they, uh, like what that experience must've been like for them. Jeez, yeah. That's so cool that's that you got to create that. Man, that's interesting. You like find, you see yourself as like a medium or like a beacon to share these stories or help other men. Wow. And that's insane. Do you, um, do you have any kind of final either piece of advice for men dealing with mental health or things that we can kind of like a message that kind of encompasses everything we talked about today that you want to share before we uh, conclude? I think that uh, it's kind of what the tattoo on my throat represents, you know, J.A., Justin Andres, traced over his initials because that was my reminder. Like when life gets tough, you got to talk. You have to let people in. It's okay to be vulnerable. And I surrounded that with the Phoenix, right? Which which is all about right. Mm -hmm. I had to fight like when we were born we came into this world kicking and screaming we fight for that first breath and so my hope is that if anyone is at that po point where they're just really struggling my hope is that they continue to fight that they make that call make that text uh that they don't isolate or withdraw and even for myself, like if someone's listening and they just need to connect with someone who they don't really know, mm -hmm. then send me an email or go to my website. And sometimes it's easier talking to someone who you don't know, but uh, I'll listen. And I think that, that that's all. It's just take the risk. And like we said before, you realize it's, it's, it's not as bad as we make it seem to be. Amazing. You're right. I think you're right it's a yeah it's a simple uh simple solutions but very very difficult you know very uh very tough to to face we're our own kind of worst enemy with all this kind of 100 percent. yeah so alan um just to conclude do you have uh where can people find you where can people reach out where can people connect uh, now's the time uh handles websites lay it all out i'll link it of course but yeah rolled out the red carpet for you here <laughs> Thanks. Probably the best way to connect with me is through the website, A-L-L-A-N-K-E-H-L-E-R.com. And that'll have everything. Um, otherwise, just good old Google. But like I said, if I can be of assistance, then please feel free to connect with me. Amazing. Alan, thank you very much for sharing with me and with the audience today. I'm grateful for your time. And I'm very very happy that you were able to talk to me and almost give me like a bit of a self-reflection and like allow me to use your stories to get myself thinking about the past and how i've dealt with these issues as well so i very uh very much thankful for your time today so thank beautiful you much. Well, i appreciate you thanks glenn right on